Shout out to new listener Doug. He's currently working his way through a big back catalog of podcast episodes. Hope you enjoy. All right, uh, lift off and the clock has started. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Discovery, go at throttle up. And liftoff, the final liftoff of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. This is The Space Shot, episode 410, This Week in Space History, for February 3rd to February 9th. I'm John Mulnix. We're going to start off on February 3rd with a couple of anniversaries. The Soviet Union's Luna 9 lander touched down on the lunar surface on February 3rd, 1966. Fast forwarding to the 80s, the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger was on February 3rd, 1984. STS-41B, which was the 10th overall flight of the shuttle program. The numbering scheme after STS-9 was rather complicated and not nearly as elegant as NASA leadership thought it was, I think. I did some quick digging and came across a post by Robert Perlman on the Collect Space forums. By the way, his site is fantastic. It's easy to get lost in all of those forum posts and incredible content. Check it out. It'll be in the show notes. Robert linked to a NASA page that explains the numbering change. According to NASA, quote, following STS-9, the flight numbering system for space shuttle missions was changed. Thus, the next flight, instead of being designated STS-10, became STS-41B. The new numbering system was designed to be more specific in that the first numeral stood for the fiscal year in which the launch was to take place, the four being 1984. A quick aside, that's a great way to get the public involved, talking about fiscal years, really driving some excitement. Anyways, back to the quote. The second numeral represented the launch site, one for Kennedy Space Center, and two for Vandenberg Air Force Base in California. The letter represented the order of the launch assignment. B was the second launch scheduled in that fiscal year. After the Challenger accident, NASA went back to the original numbering system. I'll be linking to that article in the show notes as well. Two more space shuttle launches to talk about real quick before we dive into some other things. The space shuttle Discovery launched on STS-60 in 1994 and STS-63 in 1995. We'll talk about those missions on the Facebook page for the space shot, so be sure to check it out. On February 4th, 1906, Clyde Tomba, the discoverer of Pluto, was born. On February 5th, 1971, Alan Shepard and Edgar Mitchell landed the lunar module Antares at the Fraumora Formation on the Moon. The landing was the most accurate to date during the Apollo program, with Antares touching down about 87 feet from its targeted landing point. While on the lunar surface, Shepard and Mitchell performed experiments, deployed the ALSEP, or Apollo Lunar Surface Experiments Package, and gathered 94 pounds of rock and soil samples for return to Earth. The ALSEP package included instruments that studied solar wind, heat management, and seismic monitors, among many other things. 
On February 6th, 1971, during the Apollo 14 lunar mission, Alan Shepard became the first person to golf on Earth's moon. He brought two golf balls and the club head from a six iron. This club head was attached to the contingency sample return device, which was long enough to act as a makeshift iron. I'm sure golfing on the lunar surface would do wonders for your long game. However, I think a spacesuit would probably make putting even more difficult than it already is. And let's be honest, those of us that golf need more work on our short game than our long game. The crew of Apollo 14 returned to Earth and splashed down on February 9th, 1971. One more anniversary for February 5th before we go back to February 6th. Mariner 10 performed a flyby of Venus on February 5, 1974. Mariner 10 was the first spacecraft to use a gravity assist to get from one planet to another. This now commonplace technique is used on missions that are sent to the outer solar system because this maneuver allows NASA to change the relative velocity and trajectory of a spacecraft with the minimal use of fuel. During this flyby, Mariner 10 also became the first spacecraft to visit two planets in our solar system. The experience gained with gravity assist maneuvers during this mission was important for the future Voyager missions, which used an elaborate and exceptionally unique series of gravity assists to explore the solar system in record time. After its encounter at Venus, Mariner 10 continued on its way to Mercury, arriving at that planet in March of 1974. On February 6, 2018, the Falcon Heavy lifted off for the first time. Currently, Falcon Heavy is the most powerful operational rocket in the world. There are three Falcon cores with 27 Merlin engines spread across those three cores, and this rocket produces over 5 million pounds of thrust. Looking to be on track towards their respective landing sites. Side boosters landing legs have deployed. Side boosters landing legs have deployed. And the Falcons have landed. Wow. LZ1 and LZ2. Both side boosters have touched down. Landing legs are moving on to the other one. Landing legs are moving on to the other one. Amazingly enough, the side cores of Falcon Heavy managed successful landings at landing zones 1 and 2, and that video is just absolutely spectacular. Sadly, the center core missed the drone ship, Of Course I Still Love You, which was stationed downrange in the Atlantic Ocean. The payload for this first launch was Elon Musk's cherry red Tesla Roadster, along with Starman and a mini Roadster that was on the dashboard. On February 7, 1984, astronaut Bruce McCandless performed the first untethered spacewalk in the Manned Maneuvering Unit, or MMU. Like me as a little kid, long time ago, you've probably seen the pictures of this spacewalk and not even known that it was McCandless. These iconic images of a solitary astronaut floating above Earth were taken during the historic STS-41B mission in 1984. Bruce was orbiting Earth in his own little personal spacecraft. A couple of years ago, I was lucky enough to see him at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. 
and I wish I had audio from that event, but sadly this was a time way before my podcast. Seeing the picture of McCandless floating above Earth on the giant IMAX screen and hearing him talk about that experience was one of the most unique nights of my life, and I'm grateful that I was able to attend that talk. McCandless worked at NASA for a long time, having been selected as part of the 1966 astronaut class. He supported the Apollo missions and was a backup for Skylab. It was finally during the shuttle program that McCandless went to space. He flew on two shuttle missions, and the pictures from both of those flights are incredible. McCandless passed away in December of 2017. I have two shuttle launches I want to mention for February 7th. The first, STS-98, launched on February 7th, 2001. Atlantis and a crew of five astronauts delivered the Destiny module to the International Space Station. Destiny is an orbital laboratory that's 28 feet long by 14 feet wide, and it supports work on health, safety, and quality of life experiments for people back here on Earth. On February 7, 2008, Atlantis launched again, this time with the European Columbus Science Module. The space shuttle fleet delivered some of the largest pieces of the International Space Station to orbit thanks to its large payload bay. Check out the show notes for more information about Destiny, Columbus, and the shuttle flights. We seem to be on a little bit of an International Space Station kick here. On February 8, 2010, the Space Shuttle Endeavour launched on its penultimate mission to deliver the Cupola and Tranquility module to the International Space Station. Tranquility was the last of the major U.S. modules to be installed on the ISS, and the Cupola is by far my favorite part of the station. On flight day three, Endeavour rendezvoused with the ISS and performed the rendezvous pitch maneuver, a procedure that was adopted in the wake of the Columbia disaster. This maneuver allowed the crew on the ISS to photograph the shuttle's heat shield, which gave ground crews the ability to check for potential damage that could have happened during liftoff. Some of the most incredible pictures of our home planet have been captured by astronauts and cosmonauts looking out one of the seven windows of the cupola. I'm linking to some of my favorite pictures in the show notes and on Facebook here this week. Be sure to check them out. Tag me in a post on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram with your favorite pictures captured in the cupola. I'll be sure to share them as well. That's it for this week. I'm still working on my top 10 favorite space movies. It's been a little bit busy here for me in my personal life, so I've gotten a little bit behind on that. I'm also still working on the Decade in Review episode, and I'm hoping to have that up this weekend. Fingers crossed on that one, everybody. I do have a call-in number. If you'd like to ask a question or leave a comment, just dial 720-772-7988 and leave a message. I'm looking forward to sharing the questions that you may have with all of the listeners. As always, the links to everything we talked about today are in the show notes. If you're new to the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a review. Reviews in Apple Podcasts help more people find out about the show, and they help make sure it reaches as many people as possible. Until next time, I'm John Mulnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.